Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host today, Nathan Rubin, and I'm joined by Tracy Metrano, candidate for New York's 23rd Congressional District. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Nathan. So it's our pleasure to have you, and I was hoping we could start off just by you telling our audience and listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself running in this race. Well, I'm originally from the city of Rochester, uh, modest background parents. My father did not make it through high school, uh, was in the war, came back and with his brother started a restaurant in uh, the downtown area, which I pretty much grew up in. Uh, my mother was a barmaid that he met in a tavern that was across the street from the restaurant that he got into. And uh, I went to university in Rochester and then fell in love with higher education. So I've spent my life uh, working as a professor as well as an academic administrator. Um, I got involved in politics because I began to believe after watching it for 40 years throughout my professional life and always using democracy as the core of whatever I talked about as an American historian, uh, as a uh, academic administrator, uh, teaching information literacy and citizenship, and then also uh, as uh, an internet policy uh, expert, uh, that citizenship and democracy have always been at the core of whatever I have done. And it occurred to me as we were moving into the election of 2016, I do work cybersecurity, so I was very aware of the interference. And then with the election in November of that year, it, it was clear that we can no longer take democracy for granted. And so if people can get involved, such as yourself, Nathan, or uh, such as myself getting involved in the politics of the area in which I've always lived, uh, I decided to uh, make that jump. So you mentioned that you have a background in cybersecurity and internet policy, and that's a hot topic. I mean, we just watched Mark Zuckerberg testify to Congress, and we saw a lot of videos come out from Now This and CNET and Deadspin and all these other places kind of poking fun at the congressional representatives and the senators in particular who would ask a question and, and maybe they didn't quite understand what they were asking and Mark Zuckerberg kind of had to give a little tech support session right there on, uh, on the Senate uh, uh, committee. So, so I wanna get your take on it. What do you think should be done about this large media platform that is Facebook that has been interfered or meddled or somehow leveraged for foreign adversaries benefit? Oh, so many interesting points you raised there. I did agree more or less with the assessment that you made of um, the lack of information and understanding that many of the representatives had. There were notable exceptions, and I want to call one out, Paul Tonko from uh, the district around the Albany area here in New York State uh, exhibited a very keen understanding. And in fact, I just saw him speak yesterday uh, at a conference. And so he, he would be someone to turn to who does. Were I to be elected, Nathan, I would be the only person in Congress uh, of which I am aware, certainly now, that has a background in cybersecurity, information security, privacy, and internet policy. I do think it's absolutely critical that we have the understanding, get people in Congress with this kind of background and acumen because we're living in a new economy. And if we cannot legislate appropriately in a new economy, we're going to, on the one hand, either overcorrect 
uh, or fail to correct. And we, we need to get it right uh, the first time around. So as it goes for uh, Mr. Zuckerberg and the issues at hand, um, I'm not entirely persuaded by his and Cheryl Sandberg's remarks that, oh, we were just naive, we thought the internet was good. I think that they really like the money and the power position that Facebook has had, and that's been evident for years. They've pushed things out ahead of consumers and then pulled back out and in. I could give you three or four examples uh, since 2006. And well, seven you're minutes. absolutely right. This this hasn't been the first time that Mark Zuckerberg has gone on an apology tour. I mean, we've seen him yes. apologize throughout the years for different things yes. that Facebook has done. Exactly right. And so I'm not persuaded by that. Um, I still haven't forgiven Facebook for in 2011 telling the Federal Election Commission that it was too complicated to find where the advertisements for political ads were coming from. And they didn't know that doesn't stand up to the obvious fact that they were able to get the money for those ads. So they should be able to find the identities or at least follow the money. Um, finally, going forward, what we need is uh, either the FTC to truly establish regulation in internet companies, and this includes Facebook, but extends to many, many others, because again, it's a data economy, data mining, we are the product. Uh, we need informed consent, we need opt-in, and repeated suggestions and explanations about what one is opting into. And most important, we need transparency in how these technologies work, what information they're gathering, what they do with the information, how they compile it, and then how they sell it. So one thing that I think is really interesting there, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and I, I want to touch on the idea of transparency and the idea of opt-in, because to Mark Zuckerberg's defense, he not only built a product that was pretty much opt-in based, consumers had the ability to read how their data was being used, but people don't take the time to dig into that. And, I, and to be honest, most Facebook users were just ignorant to how that data was being used. So isn't there an element also of, yes, these companies need to be regulated, but we need to be educated consumers on our own? Uh, that's absolutely right. Uh, the work that I've done in the last 15 years has largely been in higher education, and I have striven uh, both as a professor and as an administrator to do that, as a politician and um, hopefully uh, as a congressperson. I would like to continue that process. People often ask me about what kind of reforms we need in education as a general matter, Nathan. The first thing I say is we need digital and information literacy in K through 12, and we need it to find at its core critical thinking. This isn't just a matter of what button you push to get an app. It is a matter of how you look at sources, how you understand how the app that you're using works, and that you are informed sufficiently to make decisions uh, for yourself in that environment. And I'm afraid that, well, uh, one could say, yes, Facebook is opt-in. You're exactly right. Uh, the legalese of these, uh, what used to be called a privacy policy, and then finally the FTC uh, caused him to name it uh, a data use policy because there's no privacy to it whatsoever, <laughs> not, not in the traditional sense for a consumer right. Uh, and, and not only that, it, it, there might be consent, but it's not informed. Hmm. And then to the transparency point, if you really aren't aware of like, well, what are they doing with this information? How is it being used? How am I being depicted now in this information economy? Then the informed part of the consent is somewhat meaningless. 
And the transparency is the thing that they're going to fight against the most. They may make a few more uh, opt-in steps along the way of using a Facebook or a Google or Bing or any other uh, product that collects information. But what none of those companies want to do is be transparent about what they're doing. But I'm sorry, you, you raised exactly the right model in my mind for American politics in the 21st century. We need someone like Theodore Roosevelt who is going to push on these large industries, the telecommunications industry, the content industries, the internet industries, and we've got to do something, break them up, I don't know, but they've got to come under some regulation so that we can equalize the balance between consumers and the power that they have economically, but also over very intimate and important aspects of our life that I equate with democracy. Hey everybody, this is Nathan from Millennial Politics. We're going to take a quick break because we want to tell you about our new sponsor. A new company called C-Note is an award-winning social enterprise that has created a new way to save where you can earn up to 35 times more on your savings, all while increasing economic opportunity in local communities across America. The average C-Note customer earned an extra $400 last year compared to traditional savings products. So not only do you earn more with C-Note, but every dollar that you invest drives positive social impact. So instead of funding big bank bonuses, your money is going to help female and minority entrepreneurs start small businesses, build affordable housing, and support other community development projects. With C-Note, you earn up to 2.5% while building a more inclusive economy, one community investment at a time. Sign up today at mycnote.com slash politics. Again, that's my, the letter C, note, N-O-T-E dot com slash politics. And know that C-Note does not charge any fees. There are no minimums. And sign up take less than five minutes. Check them out. I'm a big Teddy Roosevelt fan. I'm glad you brought him up. I'm really curious because you mentioned earlier that you are a bit of a, a historian. So I'm curious, you know, when you look back at different eras throughout the United States and then you compare it to the Trump era, what is your initial reaction? Oh, wow. I'm seldom speechless, but there's not a whole lot of comparison that I can readily find. I mean, <laughs> we have had presidents who should not be in that role. And uh, of course, uh, Andrew Johnson jumps quickly to mind, the man who followed Lincoln after the assassination and essentially gave license to the total bungling of uh, reconstruction that has left us with a legacy that we have yet to correct in so many areas mm. of American culture, society, and politics. Um, I do tend to uh, agree with the assessments demonstrating that uh, there is a global challenge right now with the rise of authoritarian uh, rulers and with a, a rise of some 21st century form of fascism. Uh, we're seeing it in Hungary and Poland. We've already seen it in Venezuela and Russia. And uh, this is part of why you're doing what you're doing and what I'm doing, because this is not what we thought the United States should be all about. It's not what my father won a bronze star for mm. uh, when he fought the war. It's not what my mother had children for to bring into this society and give me the opportunities that I've had for education and to have a good job and to raise my two boys. We must stand up. Uh, it is no longer a passing luxury. Uh, democracy is something that has to be achieved and, and, and earned every step of the way. And so uh, this era that we are in, and by the way, I, I think that President Trump could be seen as much of a, as, as a symptom 
as well as a product unto himself. Uh, and by a symptom, I mean people not being aware of how money in politics has corrupted mm. us. It's certainly true here in the 23rd district. We have a representative who is bought and sold through campaign contributions to neglect the real needs of his district. Uh, healthcare reform, education reform, getting proper internet connectivity to our farmers, to our schools, to our students, to our libraries, and be able to create new businesses in this area. Instead, through the neglect, Nathan, we have an area that is especially prone to outside influences coming in to exploit us, whether it's uh, fossil fuels wanting to do hydrofracking, uh, whether it's external forces such as the metropolitan waste management systems that want to bring their trash up here to dump or to incinerate. And uh, we are no longer going to be uh, this state or the Northeast stump. We're no longer going to allow these external forces to exploit our land. We're going to protect the dairy farmers who are under tremendous pressure right now. We have to support the farmers with soybean and other crops that are now going to be subject to President Trump's tariff. So there's a lot of work to be done in this district. All of it points to democracy. It's re-enlivening working in middle-class people's lives, letting them know that being a part of politics is not someone else's game and they are the spectator sport. It's democracy, if I may borrow, of the people, by the people, and for the people. It means we all have to become involved. We all have to be informed. We all have to make decisions. We're not going to agree on everything. We're not going to have a perfect uh, path forward, but we've got to have a path forward that points in the direction of working in middle class people. Absolutely. So you mentioned a bit about your district. For our listeners who may not be so familiar with New York's 23rd Congressional District, could you just kind of give us an overview? Where is it exactly in the state? Is it rural? Is it urban? Is it a combination of the two? Just kind of talk a little bit so that folks can get a better understanding. Sure, Nathan. Uh, it's a very rural district. Geographically, it runs from the west of Binghamton all the way to Lake Erie along the southern border. It's called the Southern Tier. And then up north, it goes as far as Ithaca and Geneva. It does include Yates County as well as Ontario and Seneca counties that are the more northern uh, boundaries. And then uh, Allegheny, Cattaraugus and Chemung, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Cattaraugus, Allegheny and Chautauqua out uh, in the west. So it's, it's a very large district. It's probably about 97% Rural uh, farming, agriculture is the major industry. However, we have uh, Ithaca, which has higher education. Uh, we do have the Elmira area, which is uh, right now going through a transition from manufacturing into what I hope will be with the proper kind of resources, attention, and focus. Uh, also going to involve education. They're looking at a medical school that's going to uh, go down in that area. Corning with Corning Incorporated. Uh, is also a, a good middle-class city. And uh, then when you move out towards Jamestown, there's a bit of revival going on there. But in all of these city areas, you have the housing issues that are a concern. And in the rural areas, which again is about 97% uh, of the district, uh, you, there are truly uh, needs that have not been addressed, either nationally for the failure to attend to family farms, uh, or uh, by this particular congressman in this district. 
So you've spoken a lot about the need to refocus on workers and families and the middle class. You recently earned the endorsement of the Working Families Party. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what that endorsement means and perhaps any other endorsements that you might have received? Uh, sure. I did also receive the endorsement of another minor party, the Women's Equality Party. Um, mm. I think in the case of the Working Family Party, uh, what's interesting to me about it is that uh, people think of it as something moving further left. When I taught at Cornell University in family and social policy, I taught about the very issues that that party embraces. Uh, Health care, Family Leave Act, child care, living wage. These issues are now front and center of our American politics. You know, strip the labels off of everything and, and if, if working and middle class people need all of these things. And it's no longer subject to traditional political spectrums. These are the real needs of people. Do you know the number one need of every farmer I talk to in this district? Healthcare, one injury, one illness, and their family fiscal policy is on the rocks. And they already have enough pressures mm -hmm. as it is. So sometimes people think, oh, it's the rural against the urban. In my experience, Nathan, it is not. People in this district, working and middle class people need pretty much the same thing, some basic things that is holding this entire country back. And again, it's, it's simple health care, education, infrastructure, proper conservation of our environment, and then specific programs such as living wage, daycare, uh, family medical leave act across the board. This is what people tell me they need and want. And Frankly, they deserve it. It's how we're going to move this district forward. It's how we're going to move our country forward to mend the inequities in class that have been emerging in the last 40 years and now is exacerbated by the tax plan that was passed at the end of last year. So you mentioned the need, and, and this was new to me actually, that one of the top concerns of folks in rural areas is healthcare. Um, yes, sir. What would you do if elected to Congress to better our current health care system? Well, ideally, I think we should move towards a single payer system. Uh, mm. it, it has all of the uh, efficiencies that we need. It will provide. Uh, we, we do not have in the United States what Europe has, which uh, declares that health care is a human right. We must accomplish the same goal through legislation in Congress. And the last statistic I looked at had public opinion in this country more than 50%. Now understanding that a single payer system just for basic healthcare is the most effective, most efficient, most fair and most appropriate approach to the healthcare question that has plagued this country for at least 40 or 50 years now, and it must be addressed. So you just invoked public opinion, and, and I want to play the cynic here for a second, so forgive me, but it doesn't really seem like in our current Congress, in our current political environment, that public opinion really matters at all. When you look at the gun violence debate, for example, over, I think, 85% of Americans believe that there should be universal background checks, the banning of bump stocks, all these different very simple common sense policy decisions have tremendous public support, but our representatives are not acting on it. What is the disconnect and how can we fix that? I agree with you. That is a key question. And you see the same dissonance in terms of the tax policy. Most people mm -hmm. in this country did not want that tax policy that went through in December of 2017, but nonetheless, we got it. It's a, a, a perfect storm 
in many ways. First, it's because there is so much unregulated money. We no longer have campaign finance reform. You have examples like Congress Reed in the 23rd district who votes according to what his campaign contributors want him to vote and not for the needs of this district. How do we go about it right now without campaign finance reform? We go about it by people getting involved in politics, coming out, getting out the vote, and voting for people whom they truly believe are going to represent their interests. They truly will have the integrity that when they get in Congress, such as I have promised not to accept any money from the NRA, to get into Congress and then be consistent with that promise. It, 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 the way that we are going to address gun safety in this country is to get the gun manufacturers out of the overwhelming influence that they exercise in Congress and on our legislatures in all of the states. Responsible gun owners and responsible legislatures, and many of them are the same people, want to have appropriate and balanced gun rights and gun safety. The gun manufacturers have only one goal, and that is to make money. We need to get them out of the conversation. And if your next question, Nathan, is how do we do that? I believe the best way we can do that is for Congress to strip gun manufacturers of the immunity by law that they now enjoy not to be subject to tort suits. Why can't they be on the ropes like the opiate industry that we're now putting on the ropes and appropriately so? Why can't they be on the ropes like what we did with tobacco, what we're doing with sugar, and what we do with every manufacturer we've ever had in this country, whether it be cars or airplanes or transportation? They should not have this privileged position of being outside of that immunity. Now, not only would that give them something to have to fight against instead of pushing all of us and our legislators around to their profitable will, but it will also flesh out the issues of what would be the right legislation to make this society safe with respect to guns in particular. That's what the beauty of a tort suit does because you've got these two sides to the adversarial system bringing out with zealous representation all the information that they need to know in order for a jury to make a decision. We need that information on a social basis. And that is the only way that in Congress we can get responsible gun owners, responsible legislatures, properly informed to then go ahead and, and define some of these categories, assault weapons, automatic, semi-automatic, bump stock, so forth, safety, whether we have waiting periods, whether we extend the age of purchase, all of these questions need to be answered with more information that we have. So we need to lift the immunity that they enjoy to tort suits and we need to lift the prohibition that they have placed by law on the CDC and other federal bodies to do research on this very vital question in our country. I totally agree, and I, and I think that sounds great. Um, I wanna transition, I know we're, we're coming up uh, a little bit at our time. I wanna talk a little bit about women's rights, uh, civil rights, and, and LGBTQ rights. Um, we're seeing in the Trump era, racism, xenophobia, bigotry, kind of rampant throughout the Republican Party. And, and these uh, messages, especially around immigration, but also um, around LGBTQ rights with the uh, transgender ban in the military, for example, um, there really seems to be an attack on the other, if you will, coming from the right. So if you're elected to Congress, um, could you talk a little bit about how you would protect minorities' rights, especially in the context of the Trump era? 
I have always stood for civil rights. Uh, it was the politics I cut my teeth on when I was a young person and in college. Uh, I am in a same-sex relationship myself. Uh, and I firmly believe that if we do not maintain a foundation of civil rights in this country, we will not be able to be on a path of what we think of as democracy historically and by tradition in the United States. Legislatively, the first thing that we need to do is to expand Title VII of the Civil Rights Act to include people in same-sex relationships or, and transgender, or how anyone wants to define it, simply, I guess, LGBTQ rights. That, that is at the legislative level. But we also need legislatures to stand up. This is another gap, another area of neglect of our current congressmen in this district. In all of the issues, Charlottesville, or when the transgender issue with troops, he does not stand up and say, Mr. President, this is wrong. The United States is based on the equality of the foundation so that people can choose to exercise opportunity or not. You cannot put barriers in people's way when they're made out of these classifications of who they are as a person. He never stands up to say that. So part of this process of the millennial movement, younger people involved in politics, younger ideas moving forward, we need everyone to stand up to say we just want the foundation of basic civil rights. And I believe if people begin to exercise the courage that it takes to push back on someone who is playing on the fears that people have to scapegoat, they're playing on their anxieties because government has neglected them. Government has neglected the people who express the xenophobia or express the racism or express the homophobia. They are scared. Grabbing a gun feels like the next safest thing for them to do. But what about if they could grab basic health care? What about if they had 0% interest on student loans so that they could go into a wider world and get an education? What if they had appropriate access to high-speed internet so that they could run their farms that their family or five generations back their family started? Or that they could go to college and, and get a job as a professional or a teacher? We need to revive teacher education in this country. We need to begin to protect teachers so that they can help educate young people about the dangers of the psychology of fear, the dangers of when you're so afraid because government has failed you and, and, and you, you don't know how you're going to feed your family. We have 45% free and reduced lunch, Nathan, in most of the counties of this district. That means that almost half of the people going to bed at night are hungry. In this entire district, people talk about Ithaca as being a bubble. Guess which city in this district has the highest rate of poverty? Ithaca, New York, 44% rate of poverty. It's twice the amount of places in Shemong or Yates. We have tremendous need and the need is all part of our civil rights of how you just provide for people at a basic level so that then they can enjoy what we have come to regard as equality of opportunity to choose, succeed and live life so long as it is legal and respectful as they want. I think that's a great note to, to wrap on. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more or getting involved with your campaign, how can they find you? Tracy Matrano for Congress.com. And we have a very active presence on Facebook at the page Tracy Matrano for Congress. And I'm very grateful and excited to have been part of your program, Nathan. It's a great service you're doing 
and a way for so many of us to learn about new ideas and new voices. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. Um, you can find more just like this if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. Check out our social media at Millen Politics. We have a website and merchandise in our store, millennialpolitics.co. Again, my name is Nathan Rubin, and you can continue this conversation with me on Twitter at Nathan H. Rubin. Stay tuned for our next episode.